Thank you for tuning in to Cobblestone Community Church's podcast, where we are taught by the Word and led by the Spirit. I hope today's message encourages you and challenges you to draw nearer to Jesus. Holy and eternal, and you are created not holy and not eternal. How do you know? We're not on the same level. This is like an ant trying to explain to his mom what you're like. He's big. Yes. That's all they would have. And so as we talk about God, it's because he revealed it. He revealed what he's like. He's a God that communicates. He's a God that really, really has come close and been like, I'm going to tell you who I am. And that, that's the central part of Christianity that is beautiful and powerful. God establishes who he is. And the primary way on the earth right now that God has revealed who he is, you all should have one on your lap, is what? The word of God. The word of God is God's self-revelation. It's God going, this is what I'm like, and this is what happens when a people covenant with me, and this is what happens when they follow my orders, and this is what happens when I promise a thing, it happens. God's faithful. And so when we talk about God, I really, I don't want to become scholastics. I don't want to, I don't want to want you to go to seminary. I want you to be lovers of God. Now, students of God, uh, there's two different kind of veins of thought. Some students want to conquer the topic. Can you conquer the topic of God? No. Now you can study and show yourself worthy as a worker who's not ashamed that rightly handles the word of truth. That's good. You should do that. But so often we treat God like we do people on the street. So I don't know if you're like me and you just walk down the street and you're like, hey, good to see you. How you doing? But you just keep walking. You ever do that? No. That's normal in American culture, right? Because what it says with our language is, I want to know you, I hope you're doing well, but what it does with our behavior is, I really don't give a crap. Right? We're just being cordial. And you can do that with the language of God. You can say, I want to know God. And so you memorize all the omnis and all the attributes and all the scriptures, and you cite them perfectly in Greek and Aramaic and Hebrew. Wow, right? but you keep walking with your language. And the only way to know the word of God, and I'm not talking the Bible, I'm talking the word that became flesh, is to sit with him. It's to be his friend. Oh, do you remember when God got you? Do you? Do you remember when he revealed himself to you? Not, it wasn't probably a Bible study where they explained Greek to you. It was like a moment where you were longing and you were like, life's not doing it for me and I don't know where you are in this. And then all of a sudden he was like, I'm, I'm here. That's what I'm talking. I'm talking about, can we talk like lovers for a second, not scholarly people? Go ahead, we want you. Go learn your Greek, go to seminary, but be a lover of God. And why do I say that? Because the first and greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love him. And so when I thought about today, I was like, what is God like? I was like, I can tell you what I know. But just for a moment, I just wanted to tell you that when I was 17, he called my name and I love him. He really is more beautiful than every drug I've ever done, every mistake I've ever done. Every every part of my life, I always come back to now more than anything, he's better. He's beautiful. He's lovely. 
So what is God like? I can tell you from me, but then I can also now go to scripture because I've studied for a while and I can tell you, oh my gosh, God is all that the Bible says and more. And every day I go to scripture in the morning and I'm like, teach me who you are. And I thought I had him figured out a few years ago. I was wrong. I do not have the God of heaven and earth figured out. But I love that because if I did, he would not be God. A man that I love, uh, well, I don't know him, but his name's A.W. Tozer. I love him. He speaks language that my heart can't put into words. And so he wrote a book called The Knowledge of the Holy. Tim quoted it last week, and I thought, Tim, you did a great, is he even in the room? Never mind. He's in like different countries. Read the book, Knowledge of the Holy. We're going to study the book, The Pursuit of God, in uh, September, I believe, together. So A.W. Tozer is like, he says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. You ever heard that quote? What comes into our head. When I say, what's God like, what do you think? Is he mad at you? Does he like you? Is he full of wrath over your life? Is he judgmental? Or is he just like a floating, floating sky fairy that's just like, oh, what is he, right? And so what you think when you think about God is the most important thing about us. The history of mankind will probably show that no people has ever risen above its religion. And man's spiritual history will positively demonstrate that no religion has ever been greater than its idea of God. We tend by a secret law of the soul to move toward our mental image of God. The most determining fact about any man is not what he is given any, at, at, at a given time made say or do, but what he in his deep heart conceives God to be like. And so some off, so often, uh, we'll find a lot of dudes usually, or sometimes women, uh, they had bad earthly dads. And so they view God, because he's the heavenly father, the same way their earthly dad was, aloof, distant, not around. Is that the God of the Bible? No, right? And so we're gathered today to stare at the God of the Bible. And he has revealed what he's like. And the reality is he has revealed it so much that he gave his only begotten son to do one thing, to reveal himself to you. God wants you. He went to great lengths to secure your salvation. So what I'd love to do, and I just want to pray really quick, and I know we've been praying all morning. I just love talking to him. I like talking to him more than I like talking to you. Uh, and that sounds mean, but it's just the reality. You, I want you to say the same thing. I, I want you to like talking to him more than you like listening to anything else. Can we just posture ourselves before the Lord? Because if it's true that what we think about God is the greatest thing, I want to ask the Holy Spirit by the word of God to rightly give us a good view of God. So Abba, I ask that you would, by the Spirit of the Lord, come and show us what you're like. And I thank you that all the time we'll try to define, well, this is what God hates and this is what God likes. And I just pray that you would just stop that nonsense and that by your holy presence, you would come and you would tell us by your word who you are. I ask for the one that maybe views you as kind of mad and mean that would you show them your great love today? Would you show them, God, in every way that you are the God that is fullness, like there's full life in you? So Jesus, we look to you, we love you, in Jesus' name, amen. I'm still introing, but if you have a Bible, go to Exodus 34. 
Go to Exodus 34, and we're going to go a lot of places in the book of Exodus, but I want to set it up with this idea that we were going to talk about the three omnis. Does anybody know what the omnis of God are? You can say them now. They're the omnipresent God, there's the omniscient God, and then there's omnipotent God. And that just means that word omni is all. So he's all the places present. So if you go over to Asia right now, is God there? If I go to your house in Brookville, is God there? No, I just kidding. Yes, God is there. Uh, God is everywhere. He's present. And we are living where he, like he's present. Now, there's, there's manifest presence. And we don't have, that's a different sermon. But when we talk about God, we're talking about a God that's big, right? Because you're here. You're not there. And you can't be there and here, but he can. Then you talk about God's omniscience, which is what Tim talked about. He knows, right? So if you try to hide from God, you doing good? It's like a two-year-old trying to play hide and seek, putting a blanket over their head. It doesn't work because he knows. He knows everything about you, the inclination of your heart. Before words ever on my tongue, he knows it, says David. So the Lord is omnipresent, omniscient, and now today omnipotent, all-powerful has all the power. And so when we talk about God, we have this really weird relationship with power as Americans, right? Because we look at God's power and we're like, well, I want to get some of that. Teach me the recipe to go like this and have stuff happen. That's not how this works. We also have this weird relationship with power because we're like, okay, if he has all the power and I'm going to start getting, I have to ask questions. Let's just wait 10 seconds. 720,000 people just died. If he's got all the power, why'd they die? A bunch of kids in Africa just died because they didn't have enough food. You're like, wow, you just got really somber, right? So you got to think this through. Our God is all-powerful everywhere and knows all things. Think deep, people of God. What's that mean for us? And what's that mean for that kid in Africa? And what's that mean? And how's that play out? Because scripture is going to affirm God's power all over the Bible. The God of the Bible is not too worried about the earth's wars or its kings. He's got all the power and he's not surprised. So you'll see God does whatever he's pleased to do. So if God wants to do it, guess what he does? He doesn't do it. He, I mean, that's not good English because I went to Talawanda. God does whatever he wants. And if you look at those verses, I cross-referenced a bunch. It just heralds this fact that if God wants it to happen, it will because he's got the power. Nothing is too hard for him. In Genesis, you see Abraham and Sarah kind of laughing. How could we have a baby at 90-some years old? And the angel of the Lord says nothing is too hard for God. You add that to the whole witness of the Old Testament and New Testament. Is anything too hard for God? He rose from the dead. He literally slapped leprosy off people. Nothing is too hard for God because he's omnipotent, omnipotent. God, his word is never void of power. So when he speaks, everything in creation obeys him. So when God creates the earth, how does he do it? He speaks by the word of his power. And everything that wasn't now is. And you're a part of that. Uh, Colossians is going to say that he holds all things together by the word of his mouth, by his power. So our God is powerful. Our God is present and our God knows all things. So what are we worried about? What are we worried about? Apparently so many things. 
But when you start talking about God like this, is God like you? So he's other, right? He's, he's like in his own category because he's God. And once again, I'm going to read a lot of Tozer today because I love him. And he writes about this better than I think about it. He says, if an attribute is something true of God, it is also something we can conceive as being true of him. God, being infinite, must possess attributes about which we can, we can know. An attribute as we can know it is a mental concept, an intellectual response to God's self-revelation. It is an answer to a question. The reply God makes to our interrogation concerning himself. So what he's saying is, God, where are you? What are you like? And God shows up and goes, let me tell you. That's the only way you're going to know. Because if not, you can't comprehend it. He's too big, too holy, and too different. What is God like? What kind of God is he? How may we expect him to act toward us and toward all created things? Such questions are not merely academic. They touch the far end reaches of the human spirit and their answers affect life and character and destiny. So even if you've been a Christian, I mean, you popped out, slid down a pew into my baptismal, man. Like you should still be going, what is God like? I want to know him. And I, I, I try to breathe that into this place that like, I don't want to be stagnant. I want to be a first love pursuing church that knocks on the door and goes, God, we want to find you. And not just sit back and go, okay, God, you know, I know a lot of facts about you, but I want, I want to know him in my inner being. I want to walk with him and talk with him, as the old song says. The reality is, is God is not like anything else. So there's been flaws in the way people think about this. They'll be like, God's in everything. Is God in that stand? Is that stand God? Good, thank you. Please just say no, <laughs> right? Are you God? Now, are you created in God's image? Yes, yeah, so you share some similarities, right? And there's um, attributes where we can go, God is love. Therefore, because God is love and you're in God, you should love. But God is omnipresent. Are you omnipresent? Therefore, you be omnipresent. You're like, I'm in India right now. You're not. We'd like to talk to you before you leave. And so you have this concept that like, yes, there are parts of God you can look at and be like, I see love there. I see justice. I see there's things that I can go, okay, I can get my mind around that. But God is completely other. And when you try to bring him down to just a little bit better than a human size, you lower him. You belittle the God of heaven and earth. And the reason I follow the God of the Bible is because there is no other God. Every other God is an idol who can't speak and can't hear. But our God is a living God who has revealed himself. Isaiah says it this way, to whom will you compare me or who is my equal, says the Holy One. And when God says that to you, he's provoking you. Who are you going to compare me to? Now, if I said that to you, you'd be like, there's seven other dudes bigger than you in here, dude. Calm down. But when God says, who's my equal, he's flexing because there isn't one. Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? Who brings out the starry hosts one by one and calls forth each of them by name? Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? My cause is disregarded by my God. Then the famous line, do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. 
He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Who else would you compare me to? And then he starts to paint this picture of, I set the earth on its foundations. Go read the book of Job when Job mouths off to God. And what does God do? God flexes. He's like, sit down. I'm going to ask you some questions. That's not a good time. All right. That's when dad's like, sit down. Me and mom are going to ask you some questions. And you're like, dang it. Except on this level, God's like, where were you, little guy? When I hung the stars in the sky. Where were you when I made it spring forth from the mountains? Like, that's God's reply. I'm God, you're not. He's holy. He has all the power, and we do not. And so how should we describe God? What is true about him? What kind of God is he? That's what I want you to pursue. I mean, we were going to pursue it this whole month, and then communion was the first week. We're going to do uh, omnipresent that week. Tim did omniscience this last week, and I'm doing omnip omnipotent, omnipotent this week. But once again, last quote by Tozer, and then I'll stop. But he says, if we would think accurately about the attributes of God, we must learn to reject certain words that are sure to come crowding in our minds, such as trait, characteristic, quality, words which are proper and necessary when we are considering created beings, but altogether inappropriate when we are thinking about God. We must break ourselves of the habit of thinking of the Creator as we think of his creatures. It is probably impossible to think without words, but if we permit ourselves to think with the wrong words, we shall soon be entertaining erroneous thoughts. For words which are given us for the expression of thought have a habit of going beyond their proper bounds and determining the content of thought. A lot of deep thoughts with Tozer, but when we talk about God, he's whole. He doesn't have, he's not segmented out. So it's not like one moment when he's in Exodus, he's full of wrath, and then the next moment he's full of love. He is God, fully God, all the time. Now I can look at you and I can say, some of you in this room, you're a little bit more loving than other people, right? Now we could go around the room and I could be like, husbands, tell me what's your number one trait of your wife? And you're gonna probably just say, I don't know what you don't, don't do it. Don't do it. We're not trying, this is not a marriage service, okay? But we could go around and I can see a grower, I see patience, I see the Lord in you. And I could go around, I can identify attributes, traits, characteristics of your personality, right? But when we talk about God, the number one thing you got to know is there's a term theologians use for defining God. And they call it the simplicity of God. And that makes you think, God's not simple. No, what they mean is, is there's no divisions. He's one in essence. So when God is showing off that he's Jehovah Jireh or Jehovah Nisi or any of the things that he does and they give him a name. He heals and he's our banner and he's our strong place. Like he's not also not the other thing at the same time. He has a capacity not to be divided. And so a divine attribute is really where God showed up and be like, yep, that's what I'm like. And what I want to do really in the next 20 minutes is I want to walk through Exodus. So Moses was a man unlike any other. Why? Because he was said to be friends with God. That he met face to face with him. And there's two moments in Moses' life that mark him, and I want you to be marked by God today. And the first one is in Exodus 34, 
verses 6 to 7. But we're going to start in verse 1, actually. Just for some context. So in the book of Exodus, you have the whole, like, let my people go. At this point in time, they have been led out into the wilderness. Moses has gone up on the mountain. Uh, and he's kind of been up there for a while. But the Jews call this passage the 13 attributes of God. So if you read Exodus 34, you, if you were Jewish, you would identify 13 things about God. We're not going to do 13, we're going to do one, all right? And really, this Exodus 34 is kind of the most, it's not kind of, it is the most quoted verse in the Bible. It's like the Jews' version of John 3.16. So like you go to a sporting event, the guy's like, John 3.16, go to a Jewish sporting event, Exodus 34. Same thing. Not really, but kind of. So in Exodus 33, 1, God, the Lord, and Moses are having a conversation on the mountain. The Lord said to Moses, depart, go up from here. Go to verse 2. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites. Verse 3. Go up to a land, to a land flowing with milk and honey. But I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way. For you are a stiff-necked people, naked people. Don't say that. That's not how you say it. So God gives Moses pretty much what every American on earth wants. He says, I'll give you a land that's prosperous, prosperous, that has money, that has everything you ever wanted. I'll send an angel in front of you and he'll destroy all your enemies. The only catch is, Moses, I'm not going to go with you. I'm not going to go with you because those people are stiff-necked. They won't listen to me. And when they don't listen to me, I have to apply wrath and justice. And therefore, I will destroy them. That's God's reasoning. Now, Moses could have taken that deal. He could have gone in right then. But Moses doesn't go in right then. What does Moses say? But Moses said to him, verse 15, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that we have found favor in your sight? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct from every other people on the face of the earth? God, you can have all the success, all the milk and honey you want. Everybody want milk and honey up in here? You can have it all, God. But if you don't go, I don't want to go. You can, I don't want the land if you're not with us in the land because you're what makes us different, set apart, because you're God, and if we don't have you, we really don't have anything, right? And it kind of gets this idea, if God offered you everything you dreamed of right now, the stuff you sit around fretting about at night, and God was like, I'll fix it, except I'm not going to be in your life. Do you take it? Right, but we say that, but it's like, okay, everything, everything without God or everything Nothing with God. That's where I was trying to go. Which one will we pick? And it's hard sometimes, right? But Moses, I think, he has this perspective, I think, for a couple reasons. Number one, Moses has spent a lot of years in the wilderness. A lot of that time being refined. The dude murdered somebody. Spent some time in a flock. And God introduces himself to Moses. And I think over the years, Moses learned two valuable things. Number one, he learned he saw that God was beautiful, not just useful. That God was valuable, not because he could do something for Moses, but because he was God and he was worthy and good and holy and he loved being with him. This is the Bible. God creates all of humanity in Genesis 1 and walks through the cool of the garden with Adam and Eve. Why? Because God wants to be with his people. 
as soon as they sin, he makes them close and promises in the very first like promise, I'm going to crush the head of the serpent and I'm going to do away with this. And every prophet since then, and then all the way up to Jesus, what is God doing? He wants to be with his people. And so right here, Moses, and this is what like philosophers, like I'm getting a little philosophical today, but when we find someone we love, you just like to be with them, right? Like when you were dating and you just looked at each other doughy-eyed and like, oh, couldn't even talk because you were like, you're just beautiful, right? That's how you get a girl, guys. You just look at her and go, you're beautiful. And then she's like, marry me. And so dating sermon, done. Um, right? So Moses has found what his heart longed for. And it wasn't gold. And it wasn't honey and milk. It wasn't a land. It was the God who was going to take him into the land. And so he says, God, I just want to be with you. And I think so often... Moses is realizing, and I'll, I'll, I'll swap out the word beautiful, because guys, we struggle when we look at God and we go, you're beautiful. Like, we, we don't like that. He's saying you're valuable. You're worthy. You're, you're better than all my attention anywhere else. I want my attention with you. And then I think the second thing is he saw that without God, everything else was useless. So if he gets there and he becomes king of the Israelites and like, I don't know, gets whatever he has in his man heart, he's like, It'll just like slip through my hands. And I won't have really the one who sustains literally life for me. The one that met him many, many years ago. And that's where I want to head to because why is Moses saying to God, God, I don't want the land if you're not with me. God, I don't want the riches if you're not with me because I think it was the moment that he met God and found out who he was. And that you have to go back to Exodus chapter 3. So go to Exodus 3. Go to verse 3. Many years before that encounter with God on a mountain, Moses is in Pharaoh's land. He's grown up in Pharaoh's house. He gets this idea that he's going to be a deliverer. And so he gets like, he tries to defend his people and kills uh, one of Pharaoh's servants runs away in fear to the house of Jethro. He spends 40 years in the desert being a shepherd, watching sheep, right? So he went from a palace, probably getting fed things and bathed, to really humble, really unseen, and really, really just out in rural places, right? And he's there for 40 years. And it says then, and he was tending the flocks of Jethro, his father-in-law. He's not even in his own house. He's in his father-in-law's basement. Not really a basement, but you got the idea, right? You get the picture, like if that was happening today, you'd be like, well, I'm just a nobody living in my father-in-law's basement, taking care of his business and his sheep. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. And Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. And so Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look. Now I want to pause. Just, that's an interesting statement. The bush is on fire. The angel of the Lord apparently makes just fire that doesn't burn things up. Burn over there. Moses is walking with all his sheep and he goes, 
That's weird. I don't know how maybe he watched it a little bit because how else is he going to know that it didn't burn up? That's weird. Now, he could have just been like, that's weird. And if you're in New York, you'd be like, that's weird because you see a lot of weird things there. But apparently when you're walking in the wilderness, you see this burning up. And it, what does it say? When the Lord saw that Moses went to look. So the Lord was aware of him because he's omniscient. The Lord was there because he's omnipresent. And he's showing off his power and he's about to really speak power over him. But why did it happen? And I do think there's a whole other sermon in here because so often we get into autopilot in our world, right? We're cruising, man. And God's like, burning bush, car wreck, so anything just to get your attention. And you're just like, with one of those horses where you can put the things on things where they can't see, get startled. You just have your head down, buried in your work. But God wants to get your attention because he wants to be with you. He wants you to be with him. And it says... When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. I would love to know what that sounded like. Was that like a whisper? Was that like fire voice? I can't make a fire voice, but if I could, I would. But he yells out Moses' name and Moses goes, I'm here, God. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God, as he should be. So he's on holy ground. And this sometimes, really, when, when we get into this room, I want us to take this perspective that when God shows up at the house, I feel like if I was just like, God's here, and everybody's just like... <laughs> That's the appropriate response. When God is close, people go low. And you don't do things your way anymore, you do things his way. So when God says it's holy ground, take off your shoes, what do you do? Not go, that would culturally be a little weird. And what would people think? You go, got it. And you avert your eyes because he's holy and beautiful and other. Moses knows this, and the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of the, my people in Egypt. Whole nother sermon that God sees the misery of the earth and knows what's happening right now on every continent of the planet and knows the injustices being done and knows the plight of the poor and knows the widow's problems. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land. A land flowing with milk and honey. A lot of milk and honey in the Old Testament. So now, go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I? It's funny to say to God, right? God just flexed, burned up a bush, didn't burn up, speaks to him, says it's holy ground. He throws his shoes off, is quivering in fear. And then God says, I'm going to make you a deliverer and send you to Pharaoh. And he goes, who am I? I can't. You see how he immediately turns inward? And God's response is for somebody in this room. And God said, verse 12, I will be with you. God didn't say, it's okay, Moses. Let's just do a nice little mental exercise. Picture yourself in front of Pharaoh and take three deep breaths. He just says, he doesn't coach him at all. He doesn't go, oh, it's okay. But he says, I'll be with you. 
And some of us Christians in this room need a good reminder that God has spoken over your life, I will be with you. And you need to stop looking at you. Moses has a speech impediment. Moses murdered a guy. And Moses has been in the desert for 40 years. But God comes to him and says, I'm going to send you. And Moses goes, I can't do it. And God's like, I'm going to be with you. Can you hear the fatherly tone in that? I will be with you. And Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites, and this is where, why we just read this whole thing. Suppose I go to the Israelites and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? In Jewish culture, in Hebrew culture, your name means a lot. In our culture, not so much, right? We're like, you know what? He was my second cousin uncle's I like that name, Tony. You know, like, it, fine. Doesn't mean a lot. But in a Hebrew culture, if you were named a thing, it was like the Lord saves. I mean, we talk about deep meaning on names. And so when God speaks his name over your life, it comes with all the weight of all the omnis, of all the attributes of God in one name. And what's the name that he says? You're like, was it Bill? No. Verse 14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. What kind of answer is that? Right? You're like, all right, God, I hear you. I'm going to go. I'm a little bit nervous. I know you're going to be with me. But when they ask me, my brethren, when they ask me who sent me, I am sent you. And I know you've probably heard sermons on this. That's weighty, man. That's God going, I don't have a beginning or an end. I was uncreated and you're created. I am here and I'm there. I know all things. I am. I just am. I don't have, you can't get your mind around me, but I'm going to be with you. And I am who I am is sending you. Tell them I am has sent me to you. Now, the Hebrew for that is like, like you got to like really spit on your neighbor to do it. Um, go If you want to, spit on your neighbor and act like you're speaking Hebrew. <laughs> but God is the eternal I am. Uncreated, unchanging, always present, all-knowing, with all power over all things in all time. That's what makes him God. And as we look at this, every once in a while, I think we need to think about the size of God. We've shrunk him. You know why America's not afraid of God? Because they shrunk him down. But God is massive like not even the right word i don't have words i run out of words i mean like think about this the closest star that you can see like and at night tonight is about four light years away and i don't even know how far your light year is our galaxy so they say it, it, our universe is 91 billion light years across god's got to be bigger than that right and so stop thinking about God as a small, fragile white guy with a beard and a blue sash sitting up on a cloud going, boy, I don't know what to do with them humans today. Oh, there goes Bill again, making dumb decisions. I don't think that's the God that we're, we're serving. He is holy and big and majestic and people keep trying to come up with songs about him and they keep talking about him like, like he's small and relatable, but he's huge and holy and awe-inspiring because he's all the omnis and he's so much more. This moment where 
God comes to, to Moses, I was going to say Abraham, Moses, and he says, I am. I don't know if that settled it for Moses, but he goes. He goes knowing that I am told me to come. And I think this shows this, this little encounter, a couple things I want to apply to you really, really quick. <clears throat> I am, when we think about this, this I am shows us how to encounter God. I think God's trying to get everybody's attention in this room. I think he's a pursuing God. I think he loves people. I think he sent his son to get your attention. I think the word of God is true, every word of it. And I think it's God's self-revelation that he loves his, the humanity that he made. And that they need a savior, which is why he sent one. And so when we talk about encountering God, so often we think it comes down to, well, I got to philosophically and intellectually understand something. But if we went through all our stories in this room, how'd you get saved? By God at the moment he designed. And many of us, it wasn't some flawless argument. It was life hit bottom. Or you reached out in a desperate moment and went, God, if you're there. And I, he was. And it might have started with a question. What about injustice, God? But it ended with a burning bush. And that's, that's not, I'm just being philosophical. God showed up in a way that got your attention. And you listen. And he's saved because that's what he does. I think I am gives us the ground rule for knowing God. I am what I say I am and who I am is not what you define me to be. Our world right now really wants to define God in a many, many witty ways. And they're trying really hard to redefine him. I just, somebody just told me this week, kind of nervous, like they're putting Bible into AI and they're like, you're gonna, I'm like, it's okay. God's really still God. But I am is not defined by creation. He has established who he is, the creator and sustainer of all things. And by his will, he holds them together. And when before there was anything, who was there? God. And at the end of all things, who's there? God. And so I am, I really think so often uh, theologians talk about a, a theology that's from below and a, and a theology that's from above. Theology that's from above is this philosophical, I was going to say bullcrap, but I didn't, and I did. Just wash my mind. Paul walks into the Areopagus and they're just fighting. They love new talks. They love all the latest debates. That's, that's theology from below. Let's figure this out. It'll work well for our life. Theology from above is the holy God visits the earth and goes, my way is the way. So how do you know? Is your theology from below or above? Well, do you get to decide it or do you surrender? You don't argue. When I am shows up, you go, you are. That's how you know where your theology came from. And then I think I am, this I am God transforms our identity. Moses, personal disability, had a speech impediment. He killed an Egyptian. He had doubt. Who am I? I can't do this. He, I mean, he repeats himself so many times to God, I don't know how God didn't just smack him. But God going, but I am who I am, Moses, leads Moses to become one of the greatest figures in the Old Testament that there is. A friend of God. A friend of God who, when faced with we're going to go into the land, but I'm not going to go with you. He goes, I don't want that. 
I want you, nothing else. Why does Moses say that? Because he knows who God is. And you know what the problem with the church is today? We don't know who God is. So when money comes calling, we're like, I'll take it. When success comes, well, I'll take it. And there's nothing wrong with that on, you know, whatever. It's not wrong or sinful to have some money. But when it replaces God in the church. And so I, I wonder if, if we were being honest, and this is where I'm going to try to land this thing, because I think this is the point where you have to go get your kids. But we'll just act like we don't know that. We know, I'm just kidding. We should do that. Uh, it's noon. I have one more point, all right? Uh, so if you do have kids and you need to slink out, I can talk slow or I'll just keep talking. Great. In the New Testament, you know who shows up? Who shows up in the Old Test- New Testament that was promised in the Old? Jesus. Do you know his favorite thing to say who he was? I am. And it infuriated the religious people because they were like, no, 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 no. Our God told Moses he is the I am. Jesus Christ shows up on the earth and goes, I am. And they try to kill him. And they get so mad and rageful at him. But he says it seven times. I am the light of the world. I am the living water. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the good shepherd. I am the door. I am the resurrection and life. This is the Son of God going, the God who is holy, eternal, and omni, all the omnis. I am. And so I have a challenge for you this week, Christian. Uh, it comes from two Bible verses. And if you want to read them at home, that's probably what we'll need to do. It's 2 Corinthians 12, 8 to 10. Write that down. And 1 Corinthians 4, 16 to 21. They both deal with power. See, I, I want to have the power of God flow out of my life. And I want the power of God to rest on your life and flow out of your hands and your voice. I want you to go into work and I want you to be an evangelist. I want you to go and find your sick friends and I want you to pray healing over them. I want you to go be everything God, I want you to take I am and walk with him on the earth and then be his hands and feet. I said when we started prayer today that it's so often we think power, the power of God comes down to Jesus uses people. Now, if it was my plan, I wouldn't choose people. But he does. He uses broken people to go take his kingdom and go take his good news and go take his healing hands and go proclaim the goodness of the gospel to the ends of the earth. He uses people. Now, could God, because he has all the power and is everywhere and knows all things, could he right now just be like, and it's done, all healed? Yes. I have to say yes, because that's what theology is my brain. But what I've also learned is God likes to take a person, any person in here who's willing and go, I'm sending you. I'm sending you to be my, to touch them, to tell them, to serve them, to die for them. And so I'm going to read these verses and then I'm going to pray and that's all I'll have. And the prayer teams will come up. The band's going to come out because we're going to worship and really because that's why we're here. Paul's pleading with God. He says, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. He had some kind of thorn in the flesh. He had some kind of uh, physical thing or spiritual thing. People fight about it. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Did you hear that? 
do you want to walk in the power of God? Get used to being weak. You, not him. Why do I say that? Because therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses. So what? So that the power of Christ might rest on me. For the sake of Christ, and I am content with weaknesses, insult, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So when I get to the end of me, then I always seem to find I am. When I get to the end of, well, I got to say the right prayer to get the right recipe, to get the right thing to happen, and I just lean into the great I am, seeing things start to happen. So boast in your weakness this week. Be honest with God about your weakness this week. Don't hide your temptations or the skeletons in your closet this week. Bring them all to God, the one who is and was and always will be, and let him apply his power and life on it. Second one, 1 Corinthians 4, 16 and 21. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ. As I teach them everywhere in every church. Some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you. So what's happening in the Corinthian church is there are these people who are really loud mouthed and had a lot of spiritual gifts. And they were kind of boasting about it, like Paul's not going to come here and he can't do anything. But I will come to you soon if the Lord wills and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. Verse 20. So the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with a love and a spirit of gentleness? So as we talk about being God's people today, we're not talking about talking the right talks, thinking the right things, saying the right facts, knowing theology. We're talking about knowing God and the power of the cross. That's what we're talking about. And so if you're here and you know a lot of things because you were a Sunday school kid and you know felt board stuff, but you don't know God, I want you to know God and give him your whole life. I want you to repent of your sin, come to Jesus Christ and be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's not me, but that's what the Bible says. And so I want to pray, and I'm just going to release you to go into freedom. So kind of like going right back to where we started today, in worship and prayer, and up here is open, prayer teams are going to come up. And then if you haven't got your kids yet, would you go get them? And then give Brittany a big hug. She'll totally love that. She won't, but it'll be good for her. Lord, we love you, and I thank you for your word. I thank you for what you've accomplished already today. And I know, I think, yeah. I love you. We love you. I just picture like the tent of meeting that Moses got to go to. That we don't have to go find a random tent. That by the, by the blood and body of Jesus, a new and living way has been opened. That if we're in Christ, we are God's. And you, God, are beautiful. Magnificent holy you are you're all the omnis but not you do know all things you are present in this room and you have all the power and so we submit to you in a fresh way today and I ask that this week God there be burning bush moments all week and if it's really a physical burning bush God yes do that but would you get our, our attention? Would you get 
We want to not miss you. Would you help us be a church that that boasts in our weakness that the power of Christ might rest on us? Would you help us be a church that doesn't just talk the talk because the kingdom of God doesn't consist in talk but in power? Father, I ask right now by the Holy Spirit that the power of God would become to rest on some people in this room. We give you our full attention right now. We're not in a hurry. Lunch can wait. We'll give you everything. We cry out like Moses, God. We don't want to go if you're not with us. His next three words after that were, show me your glory. That's four words. Show me your glory. So right there in your seat, can you begin to give God your full attention? And we're going to enter into worship, and we don't actually say goodbye in our services anymore. We worship till no one's left. And so if earlier you needed prayer, the prayer teams are going to come back up. They'll pray for you. If you need to sit here and be like, what is God like? And cry out for him and search for him and ask him to show up, do it. It's worth it. He's worth it. I love you. Thanks for listening to me for so long. If you even want to go get your kids and come back and worship, that'd be good too. Thanks, guys. I hope today's message has been a blessing and an encouragement to you. If you would like more information, you can find us at www.cobblestonechurch.com. Have a great week and God bless.